And so as Robert said, we're, we're into this week of Thanksgiving. And here, of course, in the United States, Thanksgiving corresponds with the beginning of Advent every year. So actually Thanksgiving weekend, which we would maybe consider next weekend, is the first Sunday of Advent. And so it's always this combination of uh, two two major major things. And so it's sometimes awkward to know how to, how to present uh, both at the same time. So what we've been looking at lately is just this abundance that is ours as, as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, what we've been given that is that is really powerful. And so I'm talking about this message this morning, calling it an embarrassment of riches. And so just far more than we deserve, as we've been saying, we're unworthy and yet our unworthiness doesn't matter to God. He loves us. He's chosen us as we are, and he's made us worthy. That amazing verse in Corinthians, that says, you know, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So what an amazing scriptural truth that God has done with the likes of us. So we don't have to be special. We don't have to have a special pedigree. We don't have to be sinlessly perfect. He just chooses us, and we are loved because of his choice. So that's kind of what we have going for us uh, on, on this day, the 20th of November, 2022. Let me read this intro paragraph that I've written, and then let's move into these two amazing passages of Scripture. We live in the time between the times, the now and the not yet, the here and the still arriving. All these descriptions of our day swirling with mystery and packed with anticipation. We are possessed of a perennial sensing of an invitation to a future reality, an as, as yet unfinished reality, a reality so amazing that we need protection from the fullness of its glory. A reality determined before creation and time began. We both joyfully hope and hope with groaning for its manifestation. And in the meantime, we are invited to celebrate the abundance of all that has been given us in Jesus. His life, his friendship, his spirit, his word. And when we accept his invitation, our souls fill to overflowing with thanksgiving. What is always amazing to me is so much swirls in the world around us, in our lives, our families, our communities, our churches, and our word out to our world that can be all-consuming, can be the thing, the thing or the things that take up all space in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. And yet, as we turn our hearts and we, we fasten our gaze on the Word of God, we recognize that there is something eternal that is truer and more powerful and more real, even than the circumstances in the world around us. And so 
these last few years, I've been really focused in on staying, having my heart stayed on him. You know, that scripture verse in Isaiah 26, I think it's Isaiah that says, you know, that those whose minds and hearts are stayed on you, that are fixed on you. One version actually says the imagination. I see we'll read that this morning. And so it's it's amazing how different our approach to life is if we're focused on Jesus, we're focused on the word of God, or we're focused on the wars and the ills and the pandemics and all the stuff that's going on in the world. It's amazing. And so I think we have an embarrassment of riches at our disposal, and it's our our duty in some ways to accept this invitation. And like I say, so when we accept his invitation, our souls filled overflowing with thanksgiving. So if we're not overflowing, we don't sense an overflowing of thanksgiving. It's because our focus is off, according to what the word tells us. So I want us to look at these two passages today, one in the Old Testament out of Isaiah, and our kinship group has been going through Isaiah, and we've been we've been beaten up and terrified and encouraged beyond belief, depending on what chapter we're in. And uh, so just to reassure those of you who are with us in kinship on, on Wednesday evenings, we're going to look at one of the good chapters or some of some of two good chapters here this morning. So we're not going to, I'm not going to terrify us this morning. That would be that would be bad on a Sunday. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 25 and just verses 6 through 12. And this is reading out of the Passion Translation. Isaiah 25, 6 through 12. The Lord Yahweh, commander of angel armies, will host a rich feast on this mountain for all peoples, a feast with plenty of meat and well-aged wine, with an abundance of food and the finest of wine. And on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud wrapped around all the people, the veil spread over all nations. It's the gloom of death. He will swallow it up in victory forever. And God, Lord Yahweh, will wipe away every tear from every face. Yes. He will remove every trace of disgrace that his people have suffered throughout the world, for the Lord Yahweh has promised it. In that day, they will say, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him, and he saved us. This one, the Lord Yahweh, he is worth the wait. We will keep shouting with joy as we find our bliss in his salvation kiss. The mighty, gracious hand of the Lord Yahweh will rest upon this mountain, but the Moabites will be trampled under his feet as straw gets trampled into the manure. They will stretch out their hands in it like a swimmer stretches out his arms to swim. Yet God will bring down their pride, and they will thrash and sink despite their struggle. He will tear down the high walls of Moab's fortresses and flatten them into the dust. So there's great promise here. And one of the things in prophecies that we see is that there's often an immediate destination for these words and then there's a future one and sometimes there's actually future 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 
realizations of this of the word. And so here, the blank in number one is it's the thrill of a promised future. This is the future that is promised to the people. And the people of Israel, of course, went through multiple times of horrendous, horrendous harassment from the foreign nations around them. And yet God's promise is always there will be a day and it is coming. And we will say the Lord has uh, the Lord has done this for us, and He we waited for Him, and He is worth the wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's great for us in in our day as well. We can easily look and go, you know, life is really hard, and the world just you know many people, many Christians even are focused on the ills of our day, how difficult it is, and. They're forecasting all kinds of horrendous things. And sometimes people feel like that's their, their calling to, you know, kind of be the watchman or whatever. But I think what the promise that we have is God is going to win. There is going to be the mighty, gracious hand of the Lord revealed to us. And so we can look forward to the thrill of a promised future. And it's important for us to have a perspective like that. Now, if we move on and continue on here, the first six verses of the next chapter, Isaiah 26, verses 1 through 6. A day is coming when this song will be sung in the land of Judah. The city is a stronghold for us. The Lord's salvation, like inner and outer walls, makes it secure. Open the gates and let a righteous, faith-filled people enter in. Perfect, absolute peace surrounds those whose imaginations are consumed with you. They confidently trust in you. Yes, trust in the Lord Yahweh forever and ever. For Yah, the Lord God, is your rock of ages. He knocks down the high and mighty. In the lofty city, he humbles and levels down to the dust to be trampled down by the feet of the poor and exploited. So here's this song of triumph. The blank there, number two, is the thrill of a promised victory. And, you know, we often talk about, we know how this story ends. We know there is victory, that Jesus comes back. And he is the reigning king. And all other enemies are, as here it is saying here, they will be leveled down to the dust. So the promise for us, this thrilling promise of all God's children, for all God's children for in every age, is that there's going to be this great victory and God will win. God will bring us to that place. So is it today? Maybe not today, but the promise is there. We are filled with hope. Paul tells us he's the God of all hope. And so we, and we don't hope for what we already have. That doesn't make sense. We hope for what is yet to come. This as yet unfilled reality that I mentioned. This reality also that is 
so amazing that we need to be protected from the full realization of it right now because it would just it would probably annihilate us if we could see the entire scope of what god really has planned and how he's really going to do it and so you know we we laugh when we say this sometimes but you know we embrace mystery we we just we have to calm our hearts into that place of you know what there's a mystery i don't know everything and the, uh, we talk about this often as well the difficulty the difficulty in embracing mystery means i don't know and so i have to let go of my control efforts and just accept that god's in charge that I can just close my eyes and trust that God knows what he's doing and God will accomplish what he's promised us. We can be like little children. Little children, when Jesus talks about little children and their place in the kingdom, what's really amazing is it's little children who trust the easiest. Yeah. They they just trust. They're, they're with people that they trust, that they know, love them. And so... I love the example that was given one time I was reading and this father walking through a crowded shopping mall with people bustling in every direction. And this little boy sound asleep on his dad's shoulder as, as he's carrying him through this really busy mall. He was totally oblivious to whatever, didn't care where they were going. He was safe in his father's arms. And so Jesus says, unless you become like little children, Unless we can fall asleep on Jesus' shoulder and just let the mayhem around us be what it is, you know, we're we're going to miss the glory. We're going yes. to miss everything that Jesus intends for us to to have, and we're going to also miss the opportunities to do as we looked lately at in Acts three when Peter and John were on their way to the temple. We're going to miss those little still small voice invitations from the Holy Spirit to do something that God is is calling us to do. And so as we just trust simply like little children, it's amazing what God will do for us and through us, especially through us. And that's kind of what we're looking for in this Advent season we'll talk about in a moment. So let's move over to Revelation chapter 22. Again, not not one of the terrifying passages, but one of the exciting passages. So this is the end of the book. This is how God wraps up his written account for us. Over all the centuries that the books, the 66 books were written, here is the end of God's writing to us. And it's really important to see how does this story end according to how God is doing it. And it's really exciting, I think. So in Revelation 22, the first seven verses first, verses one through seven. Revelation 22. This is John speaking, and this is his revelation, of course. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, flowing with water, clear as crystal, continuously pouring out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The river was flowing in the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of ripe fruit according to each month of the year. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. 
and every curse will be broken and no longer exist, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there in the city. His loving servants will serve him. They will seek constantly his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will never need the light of the sun or a lamp, because the Lord God will shine on them. And they will reign as kings forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, These words are entirely trustworthy and true, for the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his loving servants what must occur swiftly. Behold, I come quickly. Wonderfully blessed is the one who carefully guards the words of the prophecy of this book. So we're near the end here. So what is God doing? Is, is God taking the last opportunity to really wag his finger in disapproval at all the things that we have not done? You know, shame, 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 you know, tisk, tisk, tisk. No, we're not seeing that here. Right? We're not seeing God taking one last shot at us to say how undeserving we've been and what a miserable wreck of a people we've been. No, we're not seeing that. We're seeing God's promise here. The beautiful picture, several feel like it's the restored Garden of Eden in Revelation 22, because it's, there's the tree of life with the, with the river flowing around it. And God, the throne, his throne is set up, the throne of God and of the Lamb be there in the city, and the servants will constantly see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. What Night will be no more. Like, wow. I mean, this is just such a glorious picture that sometimes we read these things and go, well, it's just, I don't understand what this is talking about. Yeah. If I don't really know. But so for all the saints, this chapter 22 of Revelation is for us. This is our promise. This is what God has intended from before creation and time were. He's intended for us to have these words. So the testimony of Jesus in verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Wonderfully blessed is the one who carefully guards the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. And many would say, Really? It's been 2,000 years since we've seen these words. It doesn't seem quickly to us. And so there's much debate over that, when it's going to be and how it's going to be. And I think what Jesus is saying is, when it is time, I will come quickly. So there are, there are other passages that say, you know, like the, the uh, parable of the virgins, whose some had plenty of oil in their lamps and others didn't have any lamps. There was no warning for when the bridegroom would come. So there was no time for them to race out in the dark to find oil for their lamps in preparation. It was too late. They needed to be prepared. They needed to be right there. And we're having a discussion um, something in the last few days, I'm not really sure. And there, someone was talking about the, um, the flash flooding 
that would happen. And I've seen, if you maybe have seen videos of it, when they talk about flash flooding, they're not kidding. Right. It's, I mean, one minute you hear a noise and the next minute, like it's too late to get out of the way. It's that fast. And so I think when Jesus says, I, think I come quickly, it's when the time is right, then he'll be here. And, and it's too late to be preparing. We need to be preparing for his coming. We need to, to be in worship. We need to be listening to his voice and all the words of the prophecy of this book that's been given to us. So the, the uh, number three, the blank there, is the thrill of a promised reveal. You know, we have baby reveals and we have all kinds of reveals in our day. And, you know, the the, the housing programs and whatever would they do, the, the total re re reveal the, of the house and what they've done to it. And it's the big reveal. That's what um, we see here. There's going to be an amazing reveal. We look forward to it. We hear it. We hear descriptions of it. By the Holy Spirit, we get echoes, future echoes of what it might be like. And, you know, sometimes we're in worship or we're, we have a time of prayer or the Holy Spirit shows up in our scripture reading and it just is so thrilling. And, you know, especially for me, it's, it's worship that does it for me. And I, all of a sudden the, the Holy Spirit just drops on me and you're transported. You're just transported into his presence. And sometimes tears flow and you just can't help what's going on and, or sometimes as happened in um, in Fredericksburg a few weeks ago you you start crying and shaking and then the next thing you know you're on the ground and uh, you know so that does happen as well when the Holy Spirit comes it is, and these are just they're foretastes they're little glimpses of what's going to be when God reveals himself in his full glory and and it is almost too much for us, and so that's why we're usually in a, in a prone position yeah. because we can't handle all of the, the sensation of his near presence. So we have this promise of a future and a victory and a reveal, but verses 8 through 21, the final verses of Scripture that we have, verse chapter 22 of Revelation, verses 8 through 21, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw it all, I fell face down to worship the messenger who showed me these things. But he said to me, don't do it. I am but a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who cling to the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, don't keep secret the prophetic words of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers be at their worst, and the morally filthy continue in their depravity. Yet the righteous will still do what is right, and the holy will still be holy. And Jesus' words again, Behold, I am coming quickly. I bring my reward with me to repay everyone according to their works. I am the Aleph and the Tau, the first and the last, the beginning and the completion. Wonderfully blessed are those who wash their robes white so they can access the tree of life and enter the city of bliss by its open gates. Those not permitted to enter up are outside the malicious 
hypocrites, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, murderers, idolatry, and every lover of lies. I, Jesus, sent my angel to you to give you this testimony to share with the congregations. I am the bright morning star, both David's spiritual root and his descendant. Come, says the Holy Spirit and the bride in divine duet. Let everyone who hears this duet join them in saying, come. Let everyone gripped with spiritual thirst say, come. And let everyone who craves the gift of living water come and drink it freely. It is my gift to you. Come. I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone subtracts from the prophetic words of this book, God will remove his portion from the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. The one who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the holy believers. Amen. And that's how God ends his book. That's how God ends his communication to the church. And so we are those who've received this amazing set of promises. This is how God ends the book. You know, some of, some of us have confessed that when we start a book, we read the end first. Something I can't believe, but, you know, some people do read the end first. And so... Actually, this isn't a bad end to read first. You know, just in case you might get mired in some of the things that go before it, like some of the chapters we've waded through in Isaiah's prophecy, you know, it's good maybe to read this first. To go, okay, got that settled. It's going to be a good ending. You know, some of us hate bad endings. You know, the, the, you know, the good guy dies. It's like, that's just wrong. Why are you doing that? Well, here we see the good thing, and it's full of promise for us. I am coming quickly, Jesus says. I am still coming quickly. And so the promise that we have in number four, the blank, is the thrill of a promised invitation. How many times do we see the word come here? We're constantly invited this is, you know, Jesus is the divine invitation, as I said in my note yesterday. God sent Jesus as a personal representative, the divine invitation to the kingdom for us. And then the totally incredible thing that God did, he took this invitation, Jesus, had him crucify and then rise from the dead, and then Finishes, finishes earthly ministry by conferring a kingdom on his group of disciples. These guys who, as we said earlier this morning, these guys who were unworthy, that were unlearned, that didn't speak well necessarily, that didn't get it all right, that kind of messed up in big ways. But he conferred on them this kingdom, this invitation to the kingdom. It's yours now. I'm going back to the Father. I'll send you help. My, my spirit's going to come upon you. But now it's your job. This invitation continues through us. We're the church. This is the church age. Yes. Filled with invitation. 
And I think as we as we focus on the promises, as we as we allow ourselves to sense the thrill of this promise, regardless of how bad some circumstances are, if we can focus on the promises, we are always feeling the thrill of this invitation. God invites us. He came to get us, and he made us his, gave us his life to share, gave us his spirit to share. And so this promise just gets bigger and bigger. And so why I think this is so important for us to look at in right this Sunday before we enter Advent is because Advent is the from the Latin word for advenere, which is the Latin word for to come, coming. And so it's the season of Jesus coming. We're anticipating, we're building up, we're getting ready for his coming, to remember his coming again. This, as I mentioned, is the, the new and forever ancient invitation to, to come. And this unity of scripture is from the beginning all the way from Genesis all the way through Revelation, we see God's invitation to keep coming. And many times throughout, especially the Old Testament, his invitation was not received. They pushed it away. They said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We would rather do it our way. And every time they did it their way, of course, it ended in disaster and captivity and all kinds of things. So here, I think these two passages, the, the great promises that Isaiah gave that have still for us today in 2022, a future realization yes. that the peace that is there and that God being in charge and, and showing all the abundance of good things, we're still looking for all of that and we still groan to see that. And the fact that God closes up his book, his last chapter, the, the epilogue is the invitation is still going out to us. Come. Let all these people come. You know, the Holy Spirit and the bride in divine duet. I love that expression. The divine duet says, come. Everyone who hears this duet, join them in saying, come. Let everyone grip with spiritual thirst say, Come. And let everyone who craves the gift of living water come and drink it freely. It is my gift to you. Come. And then finally, Jesus, you know, John says, the one who testifies to these things, that's John. Yes, I'm coming quickly. He says, amen. So be it. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And, you know, we often hear the word Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. So, John, at the end of this revelation, and spiritually, I think he's probably floating on, on cloud nine, if there is such of a thing. But physically, at the end of this revelation, he must be totally spent. This, the glory that he has seen, the magnitude of this revelation that was set up before him, that he was told to write down, it was only by the Holy Spirit he could do that. I mean, some of the things, some of the details that he was writing down in the way he was writing it down are just incredible to us. And then, so at the end, he writes this. And so 
There's dis dispute, dis debate, and all kinds of things about the order that things were written. But I, I think John was on the island of Patmos when he wrote this, and somewhere around the year 95. And then, but he was released from Patmos and he died back in Jerusalem. And it was in Jerusalem that he wrote the Gospel of John. That's how, that's the order I think happened. And like I say, there's plenty of de debate over that. Not that it changes much, but I love the fact that he hadn't written anything about the Gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke's written accounts were already done in, in the late 60s. And he's now a prisoner. He still hasn't written anything, but now he writes this revelation that was given to him. And when he comes back, he writes the Gospel of John. So we we have the three Gospels, and then uh, then we have the what they refer to often as just the fourth Gospel, because John's Gospel is quite different. His account is quite different, written later, trying to address different things. So here we are with this this beautiful embarrassment of riches. When we look at ourselves and we look at what we bring to this, go, you know what? We come empty-handed. We have nothing to bring to this. It's all God who does it, and God works in us and through us. And so we come to the four weeks of Advent where we look at this, the themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And when we, we recognize that those are the things that God has given to us, so how do we share those things? And so my, I guess, in a sense, an assignment we'll, we'll give each week starting next Sunday is with each theme, kind of looking at, I've been given so much in Jesus. What can I, what can I exude, I guess? What can I, what are the things I can, one teacher would say, what are the ways I could ooze? We were told to be oozing Christians by Fuchsia Pickett. So how do we ooze some of these things, like the hope and the peace and the joy and the love? And instead of saying, we must do this and we must do this, and we've got to talk to 10 people a day and we must quote 45 scripture verses, what I'm thinking we'll do is next week we'll talk about hope, and then for the week following, next week, think about oozing hope. And what does that mean for us? Live with a sense of hope that is ours. And being listening to what the Holy Spirit says. How, do, how does he want us to do it? Just through our attitude, through our words, through where we would go, through who we would contact. And just allow the Holy Spirit direct us instead of prescribing this is what we must do just making ourselves aware and as we focus you know as i say when we accept his invitation our souls filled overflowing with thanksgiving and then we just let it happen naturally let's just be organically oozing christians and so i just want us to sense today this this sense of what we've really been given and if we Focus on that. What I'd love for us to share are some of the ways we've be, we've been made aware of this embarrassment of riches that is ours. So I think that's important for us to be able to share the good things. 
And sometimes, you know, we look back at our salvation experience, if there was an experience or whether it was a gradual awareness thing. But over the years, how is how has God made kind of embarrassed us with how much good stuff has been made available to us? And so I want us to, to look at that and to allow our souls to kind of thrill again. And as we share our stories, we share the experiences, how can how does that build up and fill our souls yes. with with a real spirit of thanksgiving? Not not just the commercial aspect that we do. We we commercialize everything, especially here in the States. Um, but not just that, but Thanksgiving shouldn't be a all year round thing. It shouldn't just be a, a one day thing where we eat too much, which is, you know, and then everyone goes into whatever they call it, tryptophan coma or something, more turkeys. But whatever whatever it is that we're doing, let's let's be aware of that. And, and this is something that God wants us to be doing because the world is always looking for the Christians. They're looking for us and they're wondering what what is the difference? What what good does it do me? What what good is it doing them? And you know, just yesterday we heard you know again the story in in Dubai of just missionary couples who went because there was there was hardly anything. Dubai was basically desert in the sixties, nineteen sixty, and missionary a missionary couple went to provide medical care for mothers and babies because infant mortality was terrible. And they started in a, basically a tent kind of hospital. And then they showed us the picture today, 60 years later, this beautiful hospital that is built with over 200 and some beds. Wow. And so the Christian influence in Dubai is amazing. And the number of Christian churches that are in Dubai is amazing. And the royal family invites that. I mean, it's still... You know, it's still an Islamic country, but um, they, they, the evidence of the work of Christians has gone on, and they're even dedicating something to that fam that missionary family. Yeah. And they actually showed us a picture of the lady, and she's holding a newborn, and the new that newborn is now the the president. Of Dubai, <laughs> so he was born in their hospital, and uh, so he was one of the one of the success stories. So, um, you know, it's it's those things. It's thrilling to what God is doing and what He's doing in us, what He has done in us, and the way He's brought us through. So, let me pray for us. And I know we're 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 just bubbling over with something to share here today. So, Father, thank you, thank you for the promise that goes before us, that gives us hope, that helps us to lean in to what you're doing and to open our hearts to all the good things that are ours in you. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for choosing Revelation chapter 22 as an ending to this written account, always with something looking forward beyond beyond just the final word, but recognizing that there is more to come. And there is a hope that we can cling to, a hope that is sure. Thank you for 
placing thanksgiving in our hearts, that it would not just be a one-day party, but that it would be something that leads us and guides us through our lives. So we, we thank you for that. We bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Amen.